Welcome to Game Dev Stories, an interview show about the development histories of your favorite video games. On the show, we interview industry veterans and any designers to find out how games are made and about the people who made them. Today, Zach Barth of Zachtronics joins the show. Zachtronics is one of the most uniquely innovative developers of games. These are games for programmers and engineers, games for people who make games. It's wonderful and surprisingly rare. I'm grateful to be joined by Zach. Zach, how are you? Hey, I'm great. So let's talk about your background before games. Uh, what led you into uh, game development and the interest itself? Oh, God. I mean, I honestly, I feel so I've been programming for a really long time, just like since I was in like elementary school. Um, used to be that computers came with like programming environments just kind of installed on them like basic. And, and so I found that at a young age. And and I was into programming and pretty much, I guess, somebody who played games, the first thing you really, you know, first thing I did when I figured out how to program is like, oh, I can make my own games. Mm -hmm. And and so I've just sort of always done it. Right. I never really took it seriously. I I certainly never considered it really as a thing I could do for money um, up until fairly recently in the scheme of things. Right. I mean, I, I released some. Some some games, some of them kind of kind of infamous before I even realized that I could actually start selling them. So yeah, I've just always been making games. Was it a hobby for you to develop games long before it became a job? And when when was that change? Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I spent many years, I would say, trying to make games, except like that's a little misleading because they were like no one played them and they were unplayable. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of a question I, I think of uh, how many how many things can you remove from a game and still call it a game, right? Like if it's not fun and you can't win and you can't do any, you know, like, is it, does it really count? But um, I, I would say I spent years trying to like kind of cargo cult uh, how to make a game without really understanding like how they worked or what, what the deal was. But um, I like when I was in college, I started taking it more seriously. I started making stuff that came closer to actually like being like a game that people could play. Um, and that so that was like 2005 to 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I left college, I, I worked at Microsoft and I made some games on the side and, and those just were, were free. And that's like, I made flash games, I made Infiniminer, just kind of the infamous one. Um, and then it wasn't until after making Infiniminer, kind of having it be popular, but then being completely unable to usefully capitalize on that in any way. Like I just couldn't, was, I was just making games for fun. And mm-hmm. because people would play them and be like, nice game. And I'd be like, yeah. And, and Infiniminer was the first one where it really got out of control. And like people liked it too much just for like the thumbs up to like make sense and work as like a motivation to do it. And you know, like it, it's kind of weird, but like not when you sell something, like when people like it, you just sell more copies and then that kind of like funds development of the game because you can take that money and you can use it to make new games or better games or make the game better and like or quit your job at Microsoft and work on the game. <laughs> when you're sure. just doing it for fun and giving it away for free, like you make the game, it's successful and like people just kind of run away with it on their own because it's like, well, I work at Microsoft during the day. Like I don't really have time or like any, like I don't know how to like make this game better. I don't have anybody to help me make the game better. You know, I don't have like, I just... And so it just kind of runs off on its own. And then, you know, it's you do it in C sharp. So people like reverse engineer the source code and like start making their own versions of it. And just like, yeah, got out of hand quickly. And um, <laughs> and then after watching Minecraft make like shitloads of money, it was just like, oh yeah, I guess that like the stuff I'm doing, I could probably sell. And so that was when I made Space Chem, like with the intent of selling it, right? This was right after, this was in like 2011 was when Space Chem came out. So we started working on it in 2009. And, and like after seeing like the success of stuff like Braid, 
It was just like, mm. oh, yeah, you could make hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, <laughs> like obviously much more than that. But you could make like real like adult money by selling like your weird little indie game. And and that was when we did Space Chem. And then that just kind of everything took off from there. And I, I don't think I've made really a free game ever since. <laughs> sure. Do you feel like you could have been Minecraft? Do you feel like oh, no. based on I... the success of that game? Is that just another thing that's required? Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I. I mean, obviously, I I couldn't make it because I didn't, right? Like, right. It's I, yeah, I yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I clearly didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but most people also didn't, so I'm in good yeah. company. Sure, very <laughs> everybody few saw what I did. <laughs> you know, everybody saw Infiniminer, and like, yeah, very few people went somewhere useful with it. How does it feel though? Like, I, I think Notch has noted that it, it's a big influence on Minecraft. Yeah, technically, and, and that means possibly. <laughs> That you've influenced like a whole generation of game design if you extrapolate from there yeah definitely um yeah i don't know i mean for years it was uh, it was it was frustrating um but yeah. the the i've told the story before to uh, countless things but yeah. like the when microsoft bought it for two and a half billion dollars that was the day that i finally like came to peace with all of it mm-hmm. and like that was like the best day for me because it's just like oh yeah like this like this th- this whole thing is like so stupid and so big and so unpredictable that, you know, like that Microsoft is shelling out like billions of dollars for this like dumb little, you know, this dumb indie game, right? It's not and even it, a real amount of money. At yeah, point, right? right. It's just like the whole thing is just so crazy. It's just like, yeah, like, I guess I'll take like my like 0% share of that $2 billion, but like in the form of like a weird kind of pride, you yeah. know, and like I taught high school for a year. And when I would introduce myself to my students, I would absolutely be like, oh, yeah, I made a bunch of. <laughs> to games like the game that minecraft ripped off and like something like they would all be like whoa because like they all grew up playing minecraft like that's right. their game you know yeah they all grew up playing it and like some of them just like couldn't let go of that they're just like hold up mr barth you you made the game and it's like yeah like it's yeah i made it so i it's, think uh, maybe it'll make you feel good i've played in fin minor and and very little of minecraft maybe that's I've, a rare thing to get to i've hear. never <laughs> played minecraft before i had a dream about okay. playing it last night i don't even know why i've never played it <laughs> interesting you're still dreaming about the minecraft it, it must yeah. be like in your mind like somewhere in the back of your mind just Ugh, yeah forever happens seared into my my personality yeah i don't know yeah it, and the funny thing about it all too is that like you know when you make games people are always like oh you make games like what 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 games do you make and it's just like oh god yeah. like trying to explain like zactronics to people like no one's ever heard of fucking zactronics you know like trying to explain to my dental hygienist like what game i've made so like i'm actually kind of like even though like zactronics was like fairly successful um i, I can't explain it to anybody but i can mm. explain to every fucking human being on earth that i made the game that minecraft is a ripoff of yeah. and so in some ways it's like way more relatable and explainable for like that i'm like a person who makes games and so it's i had to lean into it i guess <laughs> the approach of like making games about engineering and programming is pretty unique like in that space there's yeah there's not a ton <laughs> that do it as well as you guys did so yeah what was the approach like why why did you make games like that oh god because i couldn't make anything else right mm-hmm. i mean it's like it's why infiniminer was what it was and not minecraft it's why all my other games are. it's just like i I don't know how it is for other people because I only have the experience of being me, but I, I feel like I'm only capable of making the games that I think to make. And we've tried countless times to make a like a different to make different kinds of games. And like sometimes mm-hmm. it works. Like we made Mobius Front and Ironclad Tactics. Like those are not programming puzzle games. 
and the, we shipped those. They weren't successful, but we shipped them. There are a lot of other games. We tried to make like a like a like a resource harvesting game where you would like sure. build submarines and then like go underwater and like harvest kelp and ore and stuff. And we got like three months in before I'm just like, what the fuck are we doing? Like what? Like <laughs> I don't. I just I can't care about this, right? Like sure. I don't want to write fish AI for six months to make like <laughs> compelling fish to fight against. Like that's just not how my brain works. And so we just stopped working on it. It's like I don't. It's just not. There's just like so many, like of all the possible games that could be made, I think I'm only really capable of making like a very small percentage of them. And what, what I, does I can't make change it? What makes you care about a game when you when you're developing it? And there's is there a moment where there's a light bulb that goes up? Oh, I I think it well. It, like it definitely starts with like a spark of interest because I couldn't even begin working on something that's not interesting that I don't want to see through. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, but like the, the submarine game was also like a spark of interest. I, I think it's usually sort of once the initial, like, uh, like romance with the idea wears off and it's just like, can I keep working on this day after day? Do I actually know what I have to do to ship this game? Like without too much like exploration and wasting time, you know, like I think one of the things that was great about Zektronics is we pretty much released like a game a year. Mm -hmm. for like many years right and um you can only do that if you know exactly what you're building sure. right you can't you can't like just be like yeah there's gonna be fish or something like you that you can only sustain that lack of understanding what you're making for so long right mm -hmm. and and so I, I think that's really the thing that makes it like that's the proof that i know how to make a type of game as if we keep being able to put one foot in front of the other and do it swiftly and ship a game in a year right is there a whole history of like technical and engineering games that really inspired you or did you just make what you wanted to make? I did, like, so obviously there is, right? Like, uh, and I, I played, I played some of them, right? I didn't always understand them. Like a lot mm -hmm. of like, kind of like, I mean, I think I, I like to think mine, ours are a little better, but like there are a lot of games from the eighties where they're just like, oh, you're going to do programming. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the game. And so like one of these games that I actually like Core Wars is a famous one. Core Wars is crazy because yeah. you you write programs, but like the programs by executing on a computer actually sort of battle each other. But they're not like it's not like you're writing AI to control like little agents that fight each other. It's like, right. no, like the programs literally battle each other. They occupy like each, you know, your program consists of instructions that exist in memory cells. And like by like overwriting other people's memory cells, you destroy their program, which is like crazy. It's It's like the ultimate programming game, but it's very difficult to understand when you encounter that as like a 13 year old who doesn't understand computer architecture. Right. And yeah, so I found absolutely. stuff like that and never understood it, but there were games that I did understand. Obviously there's like hacking games. Uplink came out years ago. That was mm -hmm. like, you know, the idea of like a game about computer shit, like that was awesome. Um, there was a game called AT Robots that I found in high school where you wrote assembly code to program little battle bots. And that was like right on the verge of like stuff I was able to kind of kind of understand. And that was, you know, there's all stuff that I found interesting. When I started making my own games like this, though, I wasn't trying to make games that were like those games. Like I wasn't mm -hmm. trying to like clone, like I think now like the, and I guess always like a real good strategy for making games is to take an existing game that you like and then clone it and then vary some things and then add the stuff you wish was in that game like that. That always seems to be the way people talk about it. Um, for, for me, I, I almost look at games more as sort of like a nonfiction exercise of like, I want to like explore something. I want to, you know, I like one of my, one of my earliest like engineering games was about reverse engineering electrical circuits. And sure. I'd been doing electronics for years. I was in college for electronics and computer stuff. And I, I was just kind of fascinated. I used to read Hackaday, which was like an electrical reverse engineering and hacking blog. And I was just like, oh, I want to make a game about this topic.
topic. Like I find this topic interesting. I don't really know anything about it and I'm not smart enough to like, I'm not going to like dedicate my whole life to getting good at this thing, but I like the idea of it. And I'm able to kind of pick up these surface level details and find that interesting. I'm going to make a game that like kind of captures that. I, somebody was telling me about a quote, I think it was like Sid Meier that like when you're, when you're doing research for a game, you want to like go to the children's section Mm -hmm. and read like the children's books like you don't want to read like a college level textbook on history you want like a children's book on history and like that'll tell you all the kind of like the level of depth that you need to make a game about it mm -hmm. and so so that's really that's really like my my style and that's where all these engineering games come from is that i was learning about all this stuff in college and i thought it was interesting i wasn't that great at it but i wanted to like create a game that captured the part of it that i liked like the kind of sillier less serious less actually like rigorous and meaningful part of it and just kind of like superficially scape like scrape the fun stuff off the surface and make a game just about that so is it important for you that games share a relationship like that between like the programming and engineering of the game and then how they are played is that interesting to you what do you mean like when we're playing the game and we're uh putting in uh commands or we're uh doing electronic work is it important to you that designing the game and playing it kind of feel related oh <laughs> i think that's just a coincidence yeah um i i just yeah right i mean it, i think i think it's actually really just a coincidence that like the the stuff that i'm interested in making games about is related to the skills that i had to employ to make the game um it's just a weird thing about our games i guess because we've made like, games about other stuff that's like non-fiction and was like we you know like the war games we made like you know ironclad tactics is a little bit goofier mm -hmm. but like mobius front was was really about trying to engage with the source material and make a game about that but like obviously we didn't use any actual guns in the creation of the game <laughs> like you were talking about the sid meyer story and uh how you would go to the children's section there are like histories in some of your games and like cultural artifacts and like a uh, unique yeah. settings like a. Uh, Definitely. What are, what are your favorites of those that you designed or, or what stands oh out? Is... Exapunks. Yeah. So Exapunks was very, so when I was a kid, I saw the movie Hackers, which is uh, Johnny Lee Miller and Angelina Jolie. Uh, not a very accurate depiction of hacking, but <laughs> sure. definitely I would say an accurate depiction of the aspirational like qualities of computer, like, I don't know you call it, like cool computer shit from the 90s. And I, I was in, as, as somebody who was into computers and was a teenager and wanted to be cool. That was like, yeah, this is like my model for how I want to be. You know, I, I mm -hmm. wish I could go to like these cool places and rollerblade around indoors and hack payphones. And so Exapunks was was sort of like, I don't know, just like trying to make a game that was set in that kind of like not that world specifically, mm -hmm. but like a, a world with the same kind of vibes and that was that that's that's definitely you know it's I, I would say it's probably the least real that's like a pretty not real setting because it wasn't sure. really it didn't like really yeah. exist but like the I guess it's like the like the stuff that it's like nostalgic for and inspired by those were ideas that really did exist and so like i think reality was a lot more boring and less cool than the way that it but like those were real ideas and like aspirations that people had back then and so it's like it's it's real in that sense so I think maybe your games get under credit for just like actually showing the aesthetic value because they are very minimal. And I think of like a um, Opus Magnum as like a very aesthetically appealing game. Like where did yeah. the art design come from in your games? Did you outsource a lot of it or have no, you created I mean, much of the art? I think one of the funny things about Zagtronics is that there's way more people than me at Zagtronics for sure. most of it, right? Like even starting, starting with Spacecam. I mean, Spacecam was a team of seven people 
Um, and like, we didn't all work together on a daily basis because a lot of us, you know, we all worked at like Microsoft or other places. And, you know, my wife wrote the story and she was working as a transportation engineer. And, you know, like <laughs> we were, um, you know, just like we're, we're all kind of all over the place. But after that, we actually started working full time. And that was when we started, you know, building up a team and, and having artists on the team. And so like for, so we, we, we sort of like shut down the studio after in, in a factory in TS100. And then we restarted it with like a, by, by selling to a publisher with mm -hmm. Shenzhen.io. And so Shenzhen.io all the way through last call BBS was like the, the sort of the final incarnation of, of Zaktronics where we made like it was like more than half, like half the games, I guess, were under that about five years. Um, that was like just one team of people mm. making stuff over again. So we had artists and we had, you know, we ended up having two artists, uh, me and another programmer designer. And then uh, Matthew did all of our music and all of our writing and all of our sound and kind of did that all holistically. And so all of our art just came from the artists on our team. We would, you know, design a game, show them like a I, I like to, for all of our games, I like to start by making like really precise, but hideous, like black and white and grayscale pixel art mm. just to, cause I can like kind of represent like how yeah. stuff should fit on screen. And then they, it's their job to take that and turn it into something that looks cool. And like, we've settled on like a, a team of artists that are like very good at, at turning those into like really cool functional interfaces. Right now, the hot topic among like indie developers seems to be about game engines with everything happening with <laughs> Unity. Oh um, yeah. How did uh how did your game engines work? And they're very minimalist and different. Um yeah, so we we started when we did space. So I I made games like just in weird tools. Like some of my earlier games were just made in like plain like C sharp and something called WinForms, which is just like the stuff that like Microsoft ships for like enterprise companies to make like you know visual tools. <laughs> sure. So like very much not for games. And so like some of my first games were in that. Um, I made Flash games during like the, the the height of Flash because it was a really easy way to distribute games to people. They didn't have to download it or install it. They could just run to the browser. It was incredible. Um, and so I made Flash games for a while. Uh, when I switched back to making like more intense games like Infiniminer and then Space Chem, we did that with XNA. And then because that that was like a that was a big thing then. You know, I I I never liked C plus It's a terrible language for expressing yourself and quickly and safely. Um, sure. I'm not a fan. So like when XNA like really like got good, it was, it was really cool. I really liked C sharp. I still do. Um, but one of the problems with XNA is that you couldn't run it on Mac and Linux. Mm. And we, we'd originally thought that the game that became space chem was going to be on like PC and Xbox, but we kind of learned that it was like, no, it's really hard to get on Xbox live. They're really selective and not indie friendly. Um, back even in, like, for you guys I, I mean you guys seem established to me well but, but now we are but yeah. not, in 2009 we weren't right it was like oh god okay. we're never going to be able to get anybody to take us seriously in Did 2009 you almost need a publisher then even on xna like that wasn't quite the boost onto xbox live that they well because like X, xbox live xbox live arcade was the one where you could self-publish onto it but xbox right. live was you needed even like steam you needed people's permission to go on there when mm -hmm. we finished space chem we submitted it to steam and they're like no we're not interested oh, no. in having it on steam <laughs> and so we're like oh fuck them we'll make our so we made our own store to sell <laughs> our game and then like within like a week of having successful they emailed us and they're like please come on steam so but like it was you couldn't just like put your game on platforms back then. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but yeah, so we originally, we thought we were going to like try to get on Xbox because like Braid was on Xbox Live and that was a big deal. But then we're like, no, like we're not going to be able to like, get a game on Xbox. So we we wanted to pivot to support Mac and Linux. And so we switched from XNA to just 
It's like our own game engine that used OpenGL. And that kind of evolved um, into the one we used for Cloud Tactics. Um, but it wasn't like work. It had like issues with performance stuff. There's there some weird ideas in it. And so we switched to Unity, like everybody else, because um, we were doing a bunch of educational games for a contract, like like a, another company as like contract work. Mm-hmm. And it was like, OK, if we want to put these on mobile, it's going to be way easier to get like a Unity game on mobile than our own custom engine. And so we we switched to Unity. We did it for one of the educational games, and then we did it for Infinifactory and TIS one hundred. And it was just like, it, it was not great, right? Like the our our main programmer after trying to get Infinifactory to actually hit frame rates and be performant, he's just like, no, we're never using Unity again. Like this is <laughs> terrible. It's so like it was great to get started, and then and this is back in twenty fifteen. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was quick to get started, and then the last bit of work to actually make the performance good was was just like it was impossible. You have no idea what's going on or why stuff's slow. All these things that were convenient are actually really, really slow. Like the fact that like creating objects is just too slow to do and you have to have like object pools. And it's just <laughs> like, what's the point? Like if you can't just use them, like what's the point? Like if I wanted yeah. to pull up my own weird shit, I could do that myself. And so he was like, we're never using Unity again. I was just like, no, how we can't make games without Unity. We need Unity. <laughs> we, we need to be able to edit stuff in the editor. Like, I don't yeah. know. Like I... But, but he was like, no, we're never doing it again. Um, and then I made TIS 100, which is entirely meant to look like a DOS interface. And I used their their GUI tools. And it was like, you know, whatever, it was fine. I, that was what I knew at the time. And and then the performance was like bad for a mm-hmm. game that's meant to look like DOS. And so bad that after we launched it, the Unity team reached out to me and was like, can <laughs> we look at your source code and try yeah. to make your game faster? And then they did. And they're just like, I guess cap the frame rate at 30. Like we can't think of any way to make it like not terrible. Do they do that to a lot of games? Do you think like a lot of games maybe don't successfully run on unity until unity might help them? I um, I think part of it is because like their programmers were all hooked on TIS 100 and competing on the office. Oh, sure. And then they're just like, Oh, well, this game runs like shit. And they're like, Oh, this is a <laughs> unity game. Like, yeah, I think they were just trying to be nice. Like, I don't yeah. know, but, but even they couldn't fix it. So we, that was when we ended up shutting down the studio. And so our the guy who's programmer went off for a year and like tried to make his own games, but in the process wrote his own engine. And so when we reformed like a year later, that was when I was I was at Valve for ten months. And when I when I left and we reformed a year later, we had his engine as a starting point, and that became the engine for Shenzhen. And we've just used that ever since. We just keep evolving it, and it's it's not even like an engine. It's just like code that creates a window and draws a game. And all our games are two D, and so it's super easy. And if it was three D, it would still be pretty easy. Um, you know, we're not doing like anything like global illumination or like crazy stuff. I don't know. But even if sure. you wanted to, like, it's not, you can figure this stuff out. Did you if bring up, uh, I guess. <laughs> did you bring up with Valve that Space Game was originally denied off Steam? Did you, once you got there, was that a? Oh, they knew. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they like the, the reason I got a job there is because they knew very well, like who we were and what we mm-hmm. did. And they, they were fans of, it was because the, some of the people there liked Space Cam. And okay. I think they petitioned the Steam team to let us on because they <laughs> liked Space Cam. So, you know, they definitely knew. <laughs> it does have, your games have, uh, Zach Tronk's games have that unique like structure where you could kind of see that there are open-ended possibilities that other people are utilizing. Like, and then yeah. you could, that's the replayabilities. You could definitely. look at that. Like if it were just me and then I got to the end of that puzzle, I might not think about it, but because I have so much comparison, it's a, uh, it's almost like an impulse to go back and see what the other possibilities were. How do you design for that? Uh, 
it's kind of like a naive approach. You just make puzzles without knowing what the answer is, right? Okay. They're not really puzzles. I think that's the thing. It's like puzzles hmm. usually, if I were to really be specific about what I think a puzzle is, it's like a thing with one solution and you're kind of like, like, walking the steps the designer took to get to the solution and they're like it's like they're like you're going on a journey with them and you're like oh i see oh hi i'm surprised what a pleasant surprise you know like that's like the real like <laughs> yeah. like portal is like a real puzzle game because like mm. a lot of those puzzles like technically they're kind of open-ended but they have like a solution and you're really like meant to find that solution and feel clever as you find it um like crossword puzzles obviously have one solution and that's the point, right? Mm. And you, you're like, oh, I see what you did there. Oh, that can, you know, like there's, there's like a flow to it. Our puzzles are not puzzles. They're just like, hey, here's some work. Do do the work and like solve, you know, come up with a solution to this, like not puzzle, but just like assignment. They're like, really, they're they're modeled after like, like computer science programming assignments, like from college. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that it's kind of open-ended, you have to write a program, it's going to like test it against it, like a set of tests, you know, to make sure that it does the right thing when the right, you know, rate and output for the right input. And like that, that's really what it's based off of is sure. like my time in college and loving homework. Like <laughs> it's fun homework. Would you say there is a best solution to many of the puzzles or is it just kind of, I mean, maybe no. someone finds one, but. There's not. I mean, especially because a lot of, most of our games, we have like three competing metrics. And so if you're good at one of those metrics, you're bad at others. And, and sure. people all the time will go on Reddit and they'll be like, why isn't there a metric just for overall best? And people are like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, what's overall yeah. best? There's no such thing, right? And they're like, well, I don't know. It could be like, and then they start working through it like everybody else. They're like, oh, you could like add them all together. And it's like, well, they don't necessarily weight the same. And 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 so that was when people eventually, they're like reluctantly convinced that there's no such thing as one best solution, which is like a real thing with engineering, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can build yeah. something that's like really performant, but it might be really expensive, you know? And there's always trade-offs in engineering. And it's just like a fact of reality, right? Like, it's not like we even have to, we don't even have to like work to create that just because <laughs> all we need to do is pick some metrics that compete with each other just because everything in life does. And, and then it's just, boom, it's like an engineering experience. Coming from like that engineering background, your games also have like these wonderful like multi-page manuals that you could print for some of them. And yeah, like, yeah. Where did that come in? And do you think it's like, I think it's valuable. Do you think it's valuable to have that in front of you? while playing a game rather than so many are built into the systems of the games now. Absolutely. So we did that first with TIS 100 because I literally could not think of any other way to teach people how to play that game. Okay. You know, my, my first That's thought right. was like, we had just come off of like Infinifactory where like there's a bunch of stages that teach you things and there's little like billboards that show you like kind of vaguely without words, like how to play the game. And I was trying to think like, how do you do that with a game like TS100? It's like, okay, we'd have to teach everybody the instructions and how to use them. And it, it would just be like, you'd forget like what instructions you learned. And that was when we're just like, well, this is a programming thing. Like we should just ship, like, I didn't even come up with the idea. It was like our other designers just like, we should just like make a manual. And so hmm. we just started like writing a manual for it. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, like this is, I don't want to make a tutorial <laughs> for this game. So a manual sounds great. And and I, I a couple times I we I, I really wanted to give up on TIS 100 because it seems so unlikely, but we we ended up sticking with it for a variety of reasons. And when we shipped it, people were like, "Oh, this manual is great fun," and it's just like, oh, "Okay, sure," you know, like it's that was just us like being lazy, kind of. Um, yeah. And then with Shenzhen and Exapunks, we really leaned in. We're like, "What if the manual was fun?" You know, what sure, if like the yeah. Shenzhen one like had like, really weird, read it? Yeah. like weird personality all throughout it? And for the Exapunk, I mean, the, 
the whole point of Exapunks was like, let's make hacking zines like 2600. Let's make those hacking zines the manual for the game. And like, that was what the, the whole game existed just to have those like zines be the manual. I talked to Ken Williams and Ella from Sierra for the show, and they were talking about some of like the earliest manuals for computer games. And I always thought it was kind of embedded in their DNA. Like you, you get a, a disc or a floppy disk, and then you might want like an instruction manual because it's, it's something different than a console or portable game where you, where the game is just in the system. Um, yeah. There's a different DNA there. That's interesting to me. Yeah. I think PC games are also really complicated off like historically. And so you yeah. kind of need that manual <laughs> to explain it. But I don't, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, they could do more than like a controller can, like at least initially, maybe they, they had more openness in their designs. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm not really a good historian on this stuff. I think also just the, like the target audience of console games, it still is like, they're just like console games are like the, the console, like conforms to the people. Cause that was like the marketing strategy. Whereas PCs like you had for other reasons. And like, it was just like, well, let's just like take this PC you already have and make something fun on it. And mm. for people who already own PCs and so like the way they're sold is very different. And like you said, they started like with uh, interfaces where you could kind of get into the design and they were PCs kind of prompted you to make something, whereas consoles yeah. seem like kind of a dead end for a consumer, at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, I mean, I think it's just like com the computers are yeah, exactly computers are designed for to be used by people who make things. Consoles were designed to be sold to people. Hmm. Right. It was not they're not tools. They're they're things they're, you know, entertainment consumables there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, we only we've we've struggled we've we've tried to port some of our games to consoles. They always do poorly. They they really have like really? PC PC in their souls. Yeah, they're very they, big on Steam. Like that just seems like yeah, they circulate definitely. well during the sales, and you always see Space Cam and everything. So yeah, uh, everyone that hasn't played them should absolutely check them out when they're on sale. <laughs> uh, uh, how does it feel now? Like, are you still attached to any of the process? Is it just a publisher? Um, and are they still making anything? with your so video? um well so yeah so we we sold zachtronics to a publisher um they, they used to be very big they're they're smaller now um they they, they did a lot of physical games distribution mm -hmm. and so they put games like on discs on shelves and like walmart and toys r us and, and i think when toys r us went out of business that was sort of like the beginning of the end for like that, that was around the time when like physical games like really started like kind of crashing um and so um, yeah, we they 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 still have everything. I still work with them to maintain the games. Like you have to, you have to have to keep answering all the emails to like keep the games running. And like when they get broken by updates, I have to fix them. Um, but it's mostly just like a maintenance thing now. Yeah, sure. Um, you're also uh, Seattle or Washington based, so uh, yep. that gives you history with some of our local companies. You mentioned Valve. Could you tell us about like your history with that company and what you made there? Yeah, I well. <laughs> Uh, so we were, we had done Infinifactory and TIS 100. They, they were okay. They're better than Ironclad Tactics, but they were, they weren't like selling like, like crazy, you know? And it was just like, okay, we need to, we need to make a new game. And, and this, this mistake I keep making over and over again is like time to make a game for normal people that will be very <laughs> okay. successful for us. And, yeah. and it always backfires. So I'm just like, I don't know what to make, you know, like, so we're, that was like when, when people started talking about kind of roguelike kind of game like not like in that they were like rogue but just like mm -hmm. games with like that kind of progression and and like risk of rain had come out and we're like oh it'd be great if we could make a game like this because people seem to love games like this and it just kind of didn't really go anywhere it's not really i don't know it just didn't like 
I think this is one of the weaknesses of Zachtronics is that like we were all kind of limited by what I could imagine. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, it, it just kind of, I don't know, we were, we were limited by my creativity and imagination. And, and when we try to make games like this, it just never worked. And, and I got kind of burnt out, like trying to come up with like somebody else's game. And this was right when VR was taking off. And, mm-hmm. and when I was in high school, I was really into the idea of VR but it was like way too early. This was oh, you know, yeah. years years before Palmer Lucky came and showed us the future of strapping a phone screen to your face. <laughs> and so I was kind of chasing after VR stuff and looking up like VR from the 90s, but you couldn't really buy it. And it was expensive and like kind of obscure. They had like these, you know, like, I don't like, like shit from like Lawnmower Man, like just yeah. like really clunky <laughs> headsets and like right. these like little things you go inside and can like move around and be poorly tracked at low frame rates. And I thought it was the coolest thing because I kind of missed it as somebody who wasn't in computers in the 90s because uh, I was too young. And and so I wanted to recreate that. And then but like I couldn't do it, you know, I didn't like it didn't it, I couldn't make it happen in, in high school. I, I was just like operating by myself on like dumb technology that was like trash technology. I remember trying to like make like a like a rear projection screen kind of like AR game, but like you couldn't even like even projectors were really expensive. So I had like a like an overhead projector and like an LCD pro- like the, the way you would like try to shoehorn like a digital projector into a classroom in like the late 90s, early 2000s was that they had these like LCD screens you would put on the projector as if it was a Uh transparency and it would shoot up through. And like, that was what, and I'm just like, Oh, I want to make like first person Mario where you're like running it, but it's like the technology. I just had like the, I was poor and had like the crappiest technology. And so Mm -hmm. I, I kind of like didn't get to do anything with VR. And then like 10 years later, Palmer lucky comes along and it's just like, what if we all had headsets? And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. (laughs) And and then like Valve was just like, what if you could like track like people perfectly in real time? And that was when I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like this tracking, tracking technology up to that point was awful because you would have to <laughs> use like these little electromagnetic trackers or like yeah. a, like a, like a system where you cover yourself with ping pong balls and like 40 cameras on the outside. Like there, there was not like good, simple tracking technology. And, and the vibe that was, that was really what blew my mind was not even the headset, but the tracking technology mm-hmm. and like the lighthouse system. And I got to try a demo at valve because like we knew them from like being on steam for you know years then and i was just like i gotta work on this and so we basically shut down the studio and i i interviewed at valve and at microsoft for the hololens team and mm-hmm. even the people at microsoft were just like what are you doing here man like you have a job <laughs> offer from valve go work at valve yeah. and they they wouldn't even let me try a hololens until i accepted really? the job offer Okay. that's how bad it was i guess i don't know yeah but uh yeah so i went to work at valve and i worked on i was on counter-strike they when you go to work at valve they like to put you on like a living team mm-hmm. with like a game that ships regularly and i i worked on counter-strike for two and a half days before i got tired of working on counter-strike <laughs> and I, I couldn't like i felt like i couldn't really contribute in any way because yeah. it was all in like C++, which I'm bad at. And mm-hmm. like, I didn't really have anybody there to like show me like what was going on or what to do. And I was just like, this is not, I, I'm like, I had a friend who was on the VR team. He's like, hey, like we're, we're doing everything in Unity. Like we need people to come down and work on VR right now. And I'm just like, you know what? what? I'm going to, because at Valve, okay. you really can just like roll your desk around and go join another team. Like they might fire you, but it, not immediately, you know, like not sure. until they prove that you're not contributing and your peers think that you're not contributing and, and stuff. And so mm-hmm. I, I rolled my desk downstairs to the basement and started working on VR uh, where I worked on the lab and worked on like the first VR bullet hell shooter, Zortex. So, oh, sure. and then, yeah, so I worked on that. We shipped that. Um, 
it was neat, you know, like, I don't know. I, I left there. There wasn't a lot of stuff that I was interested in working on. I, I didn't, I like the big project that everybody started working on after that was Half-Life Alex, mm-hmm. right? And I, it, it was clear that it was going to be like a couple year project. I'm just like, I don't want to work on this. Like, that's just sure. not, I don't, I don't want to spend like multiple years just doing like a tiny portion of something. I want to spend a year being like having a huge impact on a, on a mm-hmm. game that very few people play. Um, it's much more exciting for me to to work on something like small and personal and unsuccessful than like be a tiny part of something that's like meaningful and huge. That early so. uh, headset tech was really interesting. <laughs> like I, I remember how. Oh yeah. Like, the QR codes and stuff. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The room even of QR like, codes. <laughs> even like in the nineties, I remember like the projections of what VR would be. And it was so interesting. Maybe more interesting than reality could be. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> when you actually tried it and got motion sick, I think that yeah. made it less fun. <laughs> I met with Palmer Lucky very early in like the Oculus development and it was just a the Oculus like had together it was like held together with like a ski mask you know it was just like, <laughs> drop this and it was literal duct tape on it and that's hilarious and he's like yeah we got this high military grade stuff that we got from like a you know NASA or whatever but we also held it together with our ski mask and I was like this is very funny <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah, yeah I I mean I I love uh, the possibilities of VR possibly more than playing VR yeah, I think that was also part of the the thing for me is that after working on it for a year, I felt like I'd kind of like seen everything there was to see, hmm. you know, yeah. and like I'm I'm a very pessimistic person. So that was like obviously me being pessimistic, except that like there's not really I don't know, like it it's it's all pretty, pretty obvious. It's like you can touch things and you can see things and. I, I think one of the, the paradoxes, and this is why I love the PC, right, is that like with you, you've got a hundred and four button gamepad. Yeah, and that so many keys you can just type words on it straight, right? Sure. And then like the yeah. mouse, which is like the greatest like indicating interface, you know, ever. Like as long as you're okay with it being in two dimensions and not three dimensions, like you can't beat a mouse, right? Sure. And so you can make any game with a mouse and keyboard and a screen, right? And screens are so high resolution now; you can fit tons of information. Like just like I don't know, you can do anything. Like there's not you don't really gain anything. It's like movies being 3D. It's like, they're not really that much better. Like 2D movies were actually like a hugely powerful technology. Books, you can yeah. do anything in a book, right? <laughs> right. Like, We've rediscovered know. books possibly yeah. with the computer, which yeah. is maybe most analogous to a book in some ways. Um, yeah, it's just like super versatile. And so I think with VR, it was just like, yeah, I feel like I've seen I've seen everything there is to see, you know? And yeah. I, I feel like it, I feel like I was right, you know? Like, yeah. I think like so. It, uh, you talked earlier about what it felt like when you didn't have a complete game. Like maybe like a VR challenge for me is it's hard to find, like you have pieces of games possibly, but I, I don't know if I've really, you know, I haven't played Half-Life Alex, so maybe there is a complete game in there. Supposedly somewhere. very good. Yeah. Okay, you haven't <laughs> either. Just- no, I just I don't I have a vibe, but like I think one of my lighthouses is broken because it was like an early beta one. And I just okay. I don't I just don't feel like setting it up, you know, yeah, it's like I get it. I don't just, I don't know. Yeah. Just for what it is like I I, I want to play Beat Saber one day, but yeah, that, I haven't, haven't played it yet. Uh, I want to try <laughs> that. For that's sure. good. <laughs> I think that kind of like mechanical exercise can be interesting in yeah. a VR setting. Yeah, um, I believe it. I love there... like all those physical gimmicky games over the years. <laughs> like when DD. Oh, my God. When I found DDR. Like at a like a like a beach boardwalk in in high school, I was just like, oh, yeah. "What is this game? This is amazing!" <laughs> yeah, I was really into DDR for a while. We just got a new beach boardwalk arcade the last month here in West Seattle. Maybe the last few months. Uh, oh, really? And took my daughter down to it, and they have like a DDR clone from Japan that's like new and has like K-pop videos. So 
that's I was, awesome. <laughs> I was trying to teach her about it, and she was so confused. She had never seen like this kind of interface for a game before. So it's really fun, though. That's um, great. So I got to dance to K-pop, which is <laughs> the, the highlight of my my summer early fall. <laughs> uh, so, are are there any games that you do play? Like, are you keeping up with games? <laughs> no, I oh, okay. I would say around. So the last, I feel like the last game, when I think about like the last games I've played earnestly, would be like the original new Deus Ex game and Fallout 3 mm. and StarCraft 2. So it's all like right around like 2010. I would say that's when I started losing my ability to enjoy games. Okay. And, and like, it's just over time, it sort of just steadily like grew and grew and grew to the point where it's just like, I, sometimes I'll play them, but like I just don't care. I, they do nothing for me. the mm-hmm. The only game I play reliably now is Rocksmith. Oh sure, yeah. this is not a game, right? You're just yeah. playing guitar. It's not real guitar. Like it's absolutely. I'm. I when I pick up a guitar without Rocksmith, I'm useless, right? But it's it's super <laughs> fun to play along with, and like I don't know, like I'm better at it than I used to be. Like it's it's I don't know, it's great. Like it's it, that's like the kind of game I'm looking for nowadays, apparently. So maybe that's the kind of game you just like. Maybe it's like a rhythm intensive, like a mechanical, like peripheral game, like DDR or Rocksmith. Yeah, just... I guess so. Yeah, I really like. Well, the thing I really like about um about Rocksmith is that it's like a real guitar. Yeah, right? absolutely. It's not and the like, Guitar Hero. I, and I've tried going back, like in an ironic way, to playing like Guitar Hero because I really liked that in college. And it's just like, oh, this is so stupid. <laughs> like it's just not. <laughs> There's I don't, not much it, there. No, like it just doesn't. Yeah, like so the real guitar thing is is really great, and I. Yeah, I, I wish there was kind of more stuff like that where you could like do a real skill, but I don't really know how you do that outside of music. Like I think like fitness games, like I don't, I've never seen any of those that are, like just go for a run. I lift weights. Lifting weights is kind of like a fitness game, just yeah. without like the nonsense of it being a game. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, is there anything you look back on and wish you made, or uh, or do you have any interest in ever making a game again? Yeah, well, so we started a new studio, like immediately okay. after shutting down Zytronics. So we <laughs> we have a new studio called Coincidence that is a like fully, I always say it's like it's like an anarchist game collective, but cool. like <laughs> that's kind of an overloaded term, I guess. But like no yeah. one is in charge. And so we all kind of it's set up so that everybody can just kind of do their own thing and collaborate in a way where it's not like forced and like where your employment there is contingent on like following orders right it's all like everybody like everybody like decides to work together and it doesn't mean that like everybody's free to do whatever they want because that's not always like the thing that's in your interest Mm -hmm. right and so like we pitch projects to each other and like you know like we like i'll I'll, like use my clout as the person who ran zactronics and was the the figurehead (laughs) of it to like get us new work and then it's like hey you want to work on this project that's going to pay out money right now and they're like yeah okay you know okay so So is it like work for hire games or is there are you guys putting out anything like under your own label or is it well so we like we did a we we self-published a like a physical card game okay as like a weird thing like the lucky seven completely sold out no sorry listeners um and the, we we're doing some work for hire now. We're doing doing like an elementary school math game. Sure. Which is like I kind of swore off like educational games, but like we, we it's you know it's nice to have work to do. And like this one, I, I feel like there's like a after like after spending time thinking that like education. So I taught like high school for a year, 
uh, mm. recently. And so that was sort of like the final culmination of years of just sort of like vaguely and aspirationally thinking that education is great and, and teaching for a year really <laughs> sure. kind of like grounded me. It's like, no, it's just a, like everything else. It's just a specific thing. Yeah. And and I, I think that kind of gave me like it kind of tempered some of my like just like absurd and like vague enthusiasm for things. It's like, no, it's just like a thing. And so having done that now, I can make a math game and just be like, yeah, we're making a math game that like touches on some skills and we're trying to do like the best job we can and make it better than like the shit that other people will, will come up with because they're not us. Right. Mm. And so we're doing that. Um, and that's actually been really fun. I don't know. Like I last time we tried to make educational games, we had like a bad framework of how to think about it. And we were <laughs> sure. thinking about it like, oh, we're going to do good and it's going to have an impact. And it's like, no, when you do work for hire, you don't always know how it's going to get used by the people you're making it for. Right. Um, yeah. But like now, like we have the right framework where it's like, no, we're just going to like we're, we're professionals, you know, like finally, like we were we were children making games 10 years ago. Like <laughs> now we're professionals. And so it's. It, it's actually kind of like nice just to be able to like apply our skills and make something that looks cool and, mm -hmm. you know, but is like kind of like I'm just done like rigorously as opposed to just like with like, like creative abandon, you know. Sure. Um, and, and we're trying to we're going to do like a new game like we're we're, we're working with well, a publisher. Exciting. We're okay. yeah, we're, we've, we're working with a publisher. We've almost got everything signed, hopefully. And, and we're going to build like a. We're going to build like a Zachtronic style, you know, like puzzle game. I don't know if I can call them Zachtronic style now that I don't work. Yeah, there I don't we're know. We're going to build a Zach-like. <laughs> a uh, Zach-like, yeah. Yeah, that's, I'll have to use that term now. Yeah, we're going to build like a puzzle game on the style that we're, you know, known for. So cool. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about that, too. <laughs> looking forward to that. Can you tell us about it or is it too mm, early? Yet? Not yet. It's too okay. early. Cool. But, yeah. I, uh in like doing all my research, I get through a, a ton of like interviews and things, but I also got like hooked on a, your podcast with game developers, which is oh. <laughs> kind of like the same like aims that I have here in some ways, which I, yeah. I listen all to all of them episodes. now, like the last <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> so what, what was your so favorite good. episode? I like the Jamestown one because I just love that game. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's such a unique thing to have the interview for because I, I'm like a bullet hell guy and uh, that's kind of what I'm into. And that's such a smooth one that like interface well on computers. So it always yeah. interests me. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was back when I used to play games. That one, that oh, one sure. really got me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one was a long time ago, I guess. But uh, yeah. just letting you know, these are still being enjoyed and I've, I've gone <laughs> through them. <laughs> yeah. All the, God, I, I can't even, I, I feel like all of the people I've had on the podcast, all of the games are from like at least 10 years ago now, basically. Because oh, sure. they're all people that I knew like when we were getting started. Like, yeah. I don't know anybody in games nowadays. Like, I'm mm. very like isolated and just kind of curmudgeon now. <laughs> well, I'm grateful that you took some time to chat with us. Thank you yeah. so much, Zach. This is great. You. Thanks. Uh -huh.